So today I will introduce our focus text a little bit differently. I'm going to introduce it with a series of statements about myself. As of a month ago, I've been a pastor for 16 years. At the end of 16 years, I still believe that the story of our faith matters because I think it can still address the world's greatest needs with compassion and hope in ways few other things can. At the end of 16 years, I believe that the way of Jesus is a lifestyle. It's a way of living and a being and doing and functioning in the world. Jesus taught his disciples about the kingdom of God, not only by his words, but more importantly, by modeling what God's kingdom looks like in daily life. And finally, at the end of 16 years, even with all of the positive attributes of my faith that I just listed, I am hesitant, leery, and uncomfortable engaging in Christian missionary efforts to share this faith, which puts me at odds with much of the Christian tradition. The story of our faith is meant to be shared. Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples. Most of the New Testament books tell the story of Paul and his missionary efforts to spread the story of Jesus to the Gentile or non-Jewish communities in his region. The early church was a group of people who actively recruited and brought others into their community, which resulted in these churches growing and expanding to different towns and cities and countries around the world. In fact, even the very language used in our faith tradition conveys that it's meant to be shared. When you hear the word apostle, like the apostle Peter, or the apostle Paul, or the apostle said this or that, that word, apostle, in Greek means messenger or envoy, which conveys absolutely that this is a person who is sent out with a message to share. <laughs> so what's wrong with me? Why in 2023, after 16 years of being a pastor and still being compelled by the story of Jesus, am I so conflicted about Christian missionary efforts? To be more precise, it's not that I think our faith should not be shared or does not need to be shared. It should and it does. I think my uneasiness comes in the details of how faith is shared. It has taken me a long time to figure this out for myself and to get to the point where I am now. And I want to share this with you because I think this relates to many others besides me. So I give you Chad's top three Christian missionary strategies gone wrong. <laughs> okay, so number one, obligation. Obligation as a missionary strategy is pretty straightforward. Your faith will mirror your family's faith because that is the expectation. You are Christian because your parents are. It's an identity marker, a cultural identifier. It is how you maintain belonging and connection to your community, to your political party, to your tribe. You identify as Christian because it's what you inherited or it's how your team, your culture, your tribe identify. And you have an obligation as part of this community to uphold the traditions, the practices, and the values of the faith. <laughs> So have a bunch of kids, because as your family expands and grows, so does the church. Okay, number, number two, 
fear. Fear as a missionary strategy is very effective. In this approach, God's justice comes out in the form of wrath. God is angry, and you are a sinner destined for hell unless you believe the right things about Jesus, which you can only learn if you become a part of the church, which you can only do if you promise to unquestionably adhere to its rules, teachings, traditions, and norms. When using fear tactics, the end often justifies the means. If I can be creative and think of different ways to put the fear of God in you in order to get you on board, well, then all the better, right? Okay, number three, the sales pitch. As a missionary strategy, the sales pitch is all about what God, and by extension, the church can offer you as an individualistic consumer. It's all the reasons why Bethlehem is far superior to other congregations, and why Lutherans have it figured out in a way that others don't. As long as the value you get for membership is greater than the cost of your time and money, you're good. And churches do a lot of market research to make that balance right. So you should know that I have been on the receiving end of all of these missionary strategies, or a combination of them, during the course of my life. And I haven't appreciated any of it. I don't want my faith to be an obligation, an expectation. I have enough of that in life, and it's not life-giving. The same is true of fear. It is manipulative to create fear in others and then use that fear for your benefit. The ends do not justify the means. You cannot threaten and punish people into loving God, nor can you sell God to others like a product. I don't want to be a consumer of religious goods and services. I don't want a sales pitch. I don't want to be treated like a customer. If that's what faith is, well then I don't want it. But this is how a lot of missionary work is done in Christian communities. Plus, I have friends and acquaintances who are not religious or are of a different religion. Is it my calling as a Christian to convert them by any means available to me? What about your kids and grandkids whose faith practices are not like yours or are non-existent? What do you do as grandma when your grandkids are being raised outside of your faith? Make passive-aggressive comments to your kids to engage the guilt of obligation? Use some fear to try and get leverage? Sell them on the idea that religious life is actually really good for you? You know, more often we don't do anything because we don't know what to do. As I said before, it's not that I think our faith should not be shared or does not need to be shared. My uneasiness comes in how faith is shared, and our focus text and others like it are really important for us to hear to help us walk through these questions. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God, who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days. But Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. 
But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and, rush, and rushing in, he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in this house. And at the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. In our focus text, Paul is engaged in missionary work in Macedonia. Paul and his companions run into an issue with the local population and end up being uh, beaten and jailed. In jail, they sing and pray together to keep their spirits up. And then something happens. An earthquake damages the jail, making it possible for them to escape, to run, to get out of town and never come back. That is what would be expected. That is what most people would do. But while running away would guarantee the life of Paul and his companions, it would also guarantee the death of the Roman guards who were charged with keeping the prison secure. But as the story goes, Paul and his companions do not run away, an action that is as surprising as it is merciful to the jailer who is about to kill himself. It is this unusual, unexpected, unmerited act of mercy, compassion, and grace that catches the jailer off guard and makes him genuinely curious about Paul's actions, which ultimately leads to his decision to join Paul's faith community. This conversion story is not based on obligation or out of fear or out of some self-serving motive. It comes from experiencing the deep love of God that Paul and his companions emulate and then speak to. In the gospel stories, when people follow Jesus, they do so because they have experienced something profound. Acceptance in spite of a condition that makes them less in the eyes of their home community. Compassion, healing, forgiveness, hope, new life, a second chance. In our focus text, we see that people get curious when prisoners don't run away because it would cause harm to others. 
From history, we know that people take notice when a community cares for the least, feeds the hungry, and works for peace. In war zones, religious orders would care for the bodies of dead soldiers when they were left to rot in the fields. During the plagues, monastic orders would care for the sick and dying. People notice these things. They're curious about these things. They want to know what compels people to live like this and what story informs their actions. And really, it's no different today. We are called to share our faith story doing what Jesus did, working to heal divisions in a contentious, polarized society, to care for others in a time where loneliness is the biggest threat to our youth's health, to work for tolerance in a religiously diverse community, to practice peace and wholeness, to care for creation, to surprise people by experiencing the unexpected nature of compassion, grace, and love in their life. And when people ask which they will, why do you do what you do? We share our story of faith, the story of God's love. This is the kind of missionary work I can get behind fully. I absolutely think this is what we are called to do in this time and place, in this community, in this congregation. You are a part of this, and this is the good news that we hear today. Over and over and over and over again, we will encounter missionary efforts that are based on love, compassion, mercy, and grace in our story. And that is incredible news for us to continue to follow in. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. As a way of taking our focus text deeper and applying it more directly to your life, here are a couple of reflection questions for you to think about, journal about, talk to somebody about. Question number one, what is your honest opinion about evangelism efforts? <laughs> what has your experience been that has led you to your opinion? And question number two is this, how can the Bethlehem community share our faith story with the St. Cloud community more fully in a way that helps others experience the grace and love of God?